0: Yes, so I'm Robin. Uh, If you would like a church Bible, put your hand up. The ushers have got ones that they can make available. If you've got the church Bible, it's on page 1028, 2 Corinthians 11. I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous for you with a Godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to the Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now, I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. Even if I'm untrained in public speaking, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny any opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their work.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Robin. Well, welcome to the church this morning. Uh, We are going to be looking at that passage and getting the truth out of it, hopefully. Um, After Adrian pointed out that the truth is important, that's what we will be seeking. So let's pray uh, and ask God to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to meet together, to sit in fellowship under your word, uh, help us as we do to uh, grow in knowledge of you, uh, to become more like you, so we can walk lives worthy of you. Amen. Now I want you to come back with me to when I was 21 years young. I'd just gotten my, uh, my electrical license. I had joined the ranks of the most elite trade there is. <laughs> Um, and most of my work was in construction or, or, or fi- big fit-outs. Um, but every tradie in the company would spend a week on call. You'd get the, the black snake, that's what we called the phone, the black snake, because if it rang, it was like getting bitten by a snake, um, for a week. And it wasn't too bad, you got four hours pay just for doing nothing, and if it, if it rang, you got another four hours of double time. But my first week, I was pretty worried about it. But for the most part, it went fine. I got to the weekend and no calls, might have been home free. Sunday rolled around, and I, I went to soccer like I did every week back then. Uh, and I told the people on the sideline, if, uh, the, if the snake rings, let me know, don't get bitten by it. Um, but it was half time when it happened. The frame rings and I pick it up and it's my boss, Matt, you've got to go to the New South Wales State Library, their lights aren't working. Now, we just finished uh, a fit out, a refurb there, and it was their big opening day. And some of the lights weren't working. And so I packed up all my gear, I, t- I took my, my boots off, and I got in the work van, and I headed from Penrith all the way into the city. Uh, and I turned up and I saw the guy that I was supposed to see. Can't remember his name or his title, but it was a pretty fancy title. He, he was basically Groundskeeper Willie with a degree. And with him were all these bigwigs with their expensive suits. Uh, people who had probably done a lot better than I did at high school. They'd gone on and most of them were, were, had PhDs and were leaders in their fields. And there I was, a nervous-looking kid that smelt of sweat and lynx Africa. And I don't know why that's funny. I still use it. Um, and One of them steps forward and he says, ''Don't bother filling out a work docket for this. This place is brand new. Nothing should go wrong.'' And I, I was like, okay. And, and I went off to try and see if I could find what the problem was. And I went to the switchboards and everything was fine. And, and their, their big fancy switch gear operation system had a look there and everything was fine. And then I went over to their, their switch panel where all the light switches were. And they all followed me there. This, this crowd of guys in suits followed me there to, just to make it easier. Um, uh, and at the library they had this big panel... And all the switches were push button, not like our toggle ones up and down, they'll push button. And to know that they're on, a little indicator light would be on underneath. And so I'm looking at all the switches, and I said, "Uh, you you made sure you you turned all the light switches on, right? And the same guy, i never forget what he said. He said, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) Obviously, I turned them all on. And I thought to myself, because I wasn't brave enough to say it out loud, you may not be an idiot, but you're definitely the dumbest smart guy I've ever met. And I pushed the one that didn't have the indicator light on, and poof, the lights turned on. And I filled the work rocket out and charged him $800 for turning on a light switch. <laughs> yeah, it was cheap back then. So if anyone needs a light switch turned on, I've taught Mark how to do it. He had everything he needed. This guy was so intelligent, he could work problems out. Uh, He had all the information right there at his hand. He had exactly the same what I had, but he couldn't work it out. He couldn't see what was right in front of him. And that's what's happening with the Corinthians. They've got all the information they need right in front of them, at hand. Paul uh, had been with them for 18 months prior. He had taught them the truth of God. He taught them who God was, what God had done, and what their response would be or should be, as they live lives worthy for their calling. And yet, they weren't doing that. All the information, they weren't able to discern the difference between the false teachers and those who taught the truth. And so Paul, in this passage, he says, you want to be foolish? Alright, let's be foolish. I'm going to talk foolishness with you and I will lay out for you how you have been so foolish. You've got all this knowledge, You guys are being the dumbest, smart people around. And he spells it out. And we start there from verses 2 to 6. He he says, you're being led away. And Paul, he's jealous that the Corinthians are, are, are being led away. They're listening to these, what he calls later, super apostles. These false teachers. Imagine with me, you're out to dinner with your husband or wife. You know, somewhere nice. Not too expensive. A porto's would be my option. And you're sitting there, you're having your burger, you're sharing an Oprego dipping sauce. It's it's nice. You're enjoying the atmosphere. No kids, it's great. And then you hear from behind you a voice saying, I've never seen anyone so beautiful. And you turn to see this person staring longingly into your wife's eyes. What do you do? Oh, pull up a chair. Do you, oh, take, take my chair. No, you see, this is my wife. Until death do us part, and only I will know her in the biblical sense. And no one gets to change that. Go away. That's your response. And that is the jealousy that Paul is speaking about when he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. See, God's jealousy, it's not like our jealousy, where our jealousy is a combination of frustration and and envy and evil and, and spite, God's jealousy isn't like that. It's a longing to preserve something that is incredibly precious. Something like the covenant of marriage or the covenant that God makes with His people through the death of His Son. And God's jealousy guards against attack And when it is under attack, God's jealousy takes action against anyone who tries to violate that covenant. The covenant of love of his people who will be with him for eternity and share in his glory. You see, it's a good and right and proper thing that Paul is jealous for the Corinthians. the false teachers are attempting to violate the covenant that God has made with them. The false teachers are pulling the Corinthians away from worshipping God and they're pulling them into idolatry, worshipping other things, other gods. And so Paul is taking action on that. He's taking action because he wants them to stand in the day of salvation, pure and perfect and blameless, totally devoted to God, totally following God, trusting only in God. But here he says he fears they're going the way of Eve. Now Eve, we know, Genesis 3, the fall of humanity. And here's the thing, Eve isn't, she's not tortured or beaten or or blackmailed into submission, into following Satan. No, she is seduced. Satan seduces her with promises that he can never deliver on. He says, you will be like God. I'm still waiting. Matthew 7.15, I'm going to read that to you. Matthew 7.15 says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. They're ravaging wolves, even though they look like sheep like us. False teachers, these super apostles, aren't going to come in and announce themselves. I'm here. This isn't Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, teacher, what big eyes you have. Oh, Oh, teacher. What big ears you have. Oh, teacher, what big nose you have. Teeth, that was the one I forgot. (laughs) No, false teachers, they'll be almost unrecognisable. You won't be able to see. That's why you need to be so discerning. Use the information that you have, the truths that you have. False teachers will be seductive. Now, I'm no used car salesman. But I know that uh, there are two key elements to the art of seduction. I was actually watching Star Trek uh, Picard, the new one, last night. And the Borg Queen, I feel like I have to, every time i Borg Queen, I have to bow. The Borg Queen, um, she tries to pull one of the people in uh, with her. And she uses these two things. Um, you, you tell the person how good they are and then you tell them how they deserve so much more than they already have. Paul points out that the Corinthians are falling for this, and he says, you're doing it splendidly. Great job. They're putting up with another Jesus, a different spirit and a different gospel. They're accepting the same false promises that Eve accepted, promises that aren't going to be delivered on. See, everyone longs for life. Right, Life without pain, life without suffering, life that will be enjoyed, life that will be fulfilling. And as Christians, we know that we're expecting that life in heaven. We read it uh, in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, uh, from verse 3, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God will himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. These false teachers, these super apostles, they're using this language of faith, the cherry picking Bible references, they're using half-truths, But working into the message, some of this flattery about how blessed you are. Oh, how wise you are. Oh, how special you are. How God wants to give you the things of heaven right now, here on earth. What they're promising is heaven on earth. The thing is, they can't deliver on that promise. And the Corinthians should know that these are empty promises. They've been told, they've got the information, but they don't see what is right in front of them. And Paul, while he may not be trained in public speaking, like these super apostles are, he is trained in knowledge. It's knowledge that should be the measuring stick, not the seductive speech. And Paul has knowledge, and he doesn't actually give a big defence about his knowledge. He just says, you know how knowledgeable I am. He spent a long time with them, teaching them, showing them from the Old Testament how Jesus fulfills it and how they will enter eternity. They know he has knowledge. Despite having all the knowledge they need, all the information right there in front of them, they couldn't see that these people with their empty promises and false Jesus were leading them away from Jesus. And what makes it worse is that the Corinthians were paying for the privilege of being led away into idolatry. This is Paul's second example of the Corinthians having all the information and coming to the wrong conclusions. They think that they need to they think that they need to pay to hear the message of God's free gift of eternal life. It's a bit of a confusing sentence. They think they need to pay to get a free gift, the free gift of eternal life. I think I I think i mentioned it here before, Uh, I'm quite into watches, right? I really like watches and people like watches for a few different reasons. Uh, I like them for the engineering. I love the engineering that has to go into them, the precise measurements uh, that need to to happen to make them work. It's fascinating for me. I love love watching people try and make them with tiny little tools and fit them together and then it's amazing how many moving parts need to go into a watch just to make it tick over and tick over, over accurately. These two here uh, above me, they're both pilot's watches. These are my favourite type of watches because they're very complicated, as you can see. Um, And so there's a lot more that goes into them to make them work. With these, you can measure the distance you've travelled, how fast you're travelling, how much fuel you'll have left. Uh, You guys are probably old enough to remember slide rules. (laughs) Nice. I'll say that at at 6pm, they're like, what's a ruler? These both have slide rules on them, so you can make complex calculations just with your watch. Amazing. It amazes me. Uh, and these are more than just watches, these things are tools. Uh, and they can be the difference between losing and winning uh, a war. And so the one you choose matters. The, this one, Brightling Navitimer, it's about $6,000. Seiko Fly- this is the opposite way from me. Seiko Flight Master. It's like four hundred. Big difference. Which one do you choose? You need it to be accurate every time, all the time. Which one? As you're flying your fighter jet. You know, you get what you pay for, right? You choose the big expensive six thousand dollar brawling. Now it's pretty good. It'll do the job. But actually the cheaper four hundred dollar one is much more accurate. It works uh, better, it's more reliable, it lasts longer than the more expensive one. Price doesn't always mean you get what you pay for. Price doesn't always matter. These super apostles convinced the Corinthians that because Paul wasn't charging them for the message of God's saving work, that it wasn't worth listening to. It wasn't worth their time because they're not paying for it. And I mean, who would give something so precious away for free? Jesus did for one and Paul points out that uh, in this part 7 to 12 that he's just following Jesus' example. Paul doesn't charge the Corinthians because you don't need to pay for the free message and he didn't want to burden them and he also wanted to deny these super apostles the claim to being equal with him. Now when you bring a friend to church to hear the gospel or when you, you speak to them about Jesus and what Jesus has done for them, before you start talking to them, do you ask them for 50 bucks? I, I just want to tell you this, but first you need to give me a pineapple, a 50. The gospel of God doesn't work like that. It doesn't cost anything. Now it does cost to, to do ministry, and so when people put their trust in Jesus and want to see other people saved, we pay for, for ministry and ministers and, and missionaries to go out. When we're a part of the kingdom of God, we contribute to the work of the kingdom of God. And in that respect, the Corinthians were no different. A couple of chapters earlier, in chapter 9, Paul was talking to them about this, contributing to the work of the gospel going out. But that's not buying the message. It's supporting the living costs of those doing the work of the Lord. Paul preaches the gospel to them for free, free of charge, because this may be a shock to you, you can't buy the message, you can't buy the gospel, you can't buy your way into heaven. And Because what a burden it would be if you could. What price would you give on the message of eternal life? You could ask whatever you wanted and people will pay. In fact, people do pay. A life in heaven with God, priceless. Paul didn't want to burden them, put a burden on the Corinthians like these false teachers were were doing. Paul preached to them this amazing message despite getting nothing from them. This this can be a hard concept. Paying nothing to receive it. It's tough because we think if it's worth something, it's going to cost something. It's probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks that the, uh, the Catholics have. You don't have to give to receive. So Paul gave to them this message, burden free, without cost, which is the opposite to what the false teachers did. And they cannot claim to be equal with him. Paul stands up and he says, I will continue to speak to the gospel into your lives, free of charge, without burdening you. No money needed. Will they do the same? Those false teachers who made you pay for the message of their false promises, what will they do if you stopped paying them? They would do the same thing that your phone provider would do disappear. The Corinthians they had all the information they needed to discern the false teachers from those who speak the truth. And yet they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. They were not only seduced by promises of heaven now, they paid for the privilege of getting them. You can see the Corinthians knew better. They were intelligent. They knew things. They weren't idiots. But they were being the dumbest, smart people. Paul finishes off this section, this bit of foolish speak, by reminding the Corinthians that that's how deceitfulness will come into the church. In fact, it's how deceitfulness has always come in. It's how Satan works. It's what we should expect. And in this last section, verses 13 to 15, he points out that the Corinthians should have seen it coming. Like I said earlier, the false teachers, they're not going to come in and they're not going to announce themselves that they're here. They are going to appear and speak almost the same as we do. They will be, uh, uh, they will look the same as us. They will be disguised as people. They'll be disguised as people who deeply love and care for you, who want to see you succeed who wants you to put your best foot forward. There will be people who want you to read your Bible, to see that Jesus loves you. Jesus wants the best for you. They will remind you that God works for the good of his people. And as you mature in your walk with God, they will help you see the more important tasks that you need to do for the kingdom. And that's what makes them so deceitful. When Satan comes knocking on the door, we're not going to smell sulfur. We will smell the sweet aroma of freshly baked bread or newly cut grass. Something that smells amazing. What I said, it sounds great, right? And it may sound correct, but don't be fooled. Because success means living for God, which means you will have to fail some worldly things. You'll have to fail some worldly things. And Jesus does love you. He loves you so much that he went to the cross for you. And the best thing for you now is to take up your cross, to stop chasing after worldly things and to live your entire life for God. And God does work for the good of his people. And if the Old Testament teaches us nothing else, it's that sometimes the best thing for his people is discipline and trials. James tells us, that trials will come. Uh, He tells us that through the trials, we will grow stronger uh, and be more Christ-like. These trials are actually uh, a good thing. And the more mature in Christ you become, the more you'll see your sinfulness, the more you'll see your unworthiness, the more you will serve in any way possible, no matter what that is. You see, false teachers use the name of Jesus to lead you away from Jesus. When it happens, you shouldn't be surprised. It's how it has always worked. It's how it will always work. And in the end, their end will be according to their works. My kids... I pack them lunch for, for preschool when they go off. They get the exact same thing and I send them off. And when they get picked, picked up in the afternoon, one of them will open their lunch box to eat their chips on the way home. And the other one has nothing because they've eaten it all at school. And the one who, who is at all their lunch at school will say, where's mine? Where are my chips for the way home? And I simply point out to her that you can't eat your chips then and expect to have them now. It doesn't work like that. You can't eat them twice. The super apostles, these false teachers, who are promising all the glory, all the riches of heaven right now. Their lives may look amazing. They may look like they've gotten exactly what they've promised. But if you're living for this world, for the here, for the now, you're not living for the next life. And you can't expect to have heaven now and have heaven later. Get glory here on earth, false, worldly glory, and then take a share in God's glory when he comes to judge the world. Their works are worldly. Their end will be worldly also. They will fall into hell because they rejected the true and living king. What I want to know is where will you be? You're not idiots. Most of you are probably smarter than I am. You have the information laid out in front of you. You're taught it every week, a few times a week. It's all written right here. Use it. Don't ignore it. Don't be the smartest, dumb person I know. Don't be my next opening illustration. (laughs) Don't be seduced by people stroking your ego know exactly what the Bible says so that when people come preaching a different gospel, you can be jealous. Jealous of the covenant that you have with God and jealous for the others in your church and their covenant that God has made with them. That is what I want you to leave, with, leave you with. Live lives every day with your eyes fixed on heaven. That means stop spending so much time in things of the world. You need to read your Bible. You need to study your Bible Be a failure in the world's eyes. Be a failure because you live for Christ. If the Bible says one thing and the world says another, don't question it. The Bible is the true word of God. Don't be seduced by how good the world looks. Go to Bible study. No matter what you have on, no matter how tired you are, how big your day was, go to Bible study. Turn up to church. I think there should be one reason why you didn't come to church. That's because you've entered glory. That should be your assumption. So check in on people if they don't turn up. (laughs) School, work, sport, shopping, holidays, uh, family events. None of them matter. What matters is heaven. Heaven and coming to church to learn and hear about God. Be at church every week, unless you've entered glory. And don't talk about useless things over morning tea. Talk about what you've read and studied in the Bible. Talk about the the theology books that you may have read through the week. Talk about what you've learnt at Bible study. Talk about the sermon that you've just heard. Talk about the things that you've been praying for through the week, or the things that you're going to continue to pray for during the week. And pray for each other. Do you want to enter into eternal glory and live forever in the presence of God? It's not a rhetorical question. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes. Very good. You have all the information right in front of you, spelled out. You need to use it, you need to be discerning. Don't be dumb.